0: America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Basses Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now, here is GP. Hello,
1: everyone. It is Hump Day, and we are here. In the Azunya Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, Greg Peterson taking you along today as we've got a great show for you. Eric Rosenthal, he is a podcast host for DraftKings as the specific podcast is Between the Lines. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all in the final segment. Fortunately, not quite so many games are off the board for... Today, though, with that said, we still do have a couple of those, so that's a little bit of a pain. My apologies, but we will take you through as best as possible as it worked out pretty darn well yesterday for those of you guys that took my picks. You guys know that it was quite profitable, but we've got some Twitter questions in from you guys, so that means I have some answers.
0: So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag.
1: This first one comes in from J.M. Betts. He is on Twitter at... Leafs, Raps, Jays, 7. At you underscore D1. Cues for the podcast. One, do you look at batter versus pitcher stats? This is spelt out BVP. I'm assuming that's batter versus pitcher. I'm assuming it's not breakfast versus pancake stats. And number two, do you believe in, and I quote, coin flip games? If so, what do you do in those situations? Other betters would skip it. You don't do that. In those tight situations, What makes the difference, assuming bats slash pitchers slash better pitcher sets are even and everything like that? And for one, when you do have a game that you're very tight on, you think it's going to be a close one, you take a look at, for one, the actual value that you're getting. If you think that it's going to be a tight game between a team that's a big underdog versus a big favorite, always take the underdog. If you think that a team is going to win 5 out of 10 games and they're getting like a plus 150 price, always take that shot, because if they do wind up winning 5 out of 10 games, and you're getting a plus 150 price, that is going to be very, very profitable. You'd be up 2.5 units over the course of 10 games, because you figure you lose 5 of those games with a unit, you get a unit and a half every time you win, you just do the math, it plays out to you winning. If that's not the case, let's say that the game is minus 105 and everything like that, you do take a look at a little bit of the history, like the batter versus pitcher sets that you threw out there, and in these cases, you do need a little bit of history because what we notice is that with a lot of these starters, they haven't faced a lot of these batters recently. You got guys that are with new teams like Patrick Corbin is now with the Washington Nationals, the teams like the New York Mets and everything like that, they haven't seen a lot of them. It's hard to really use batter versus pitcher sets when there's a small sample size. It's like, oh, he went 0-for-2 career versus Patrick Corbin. That's not really something that you can stick much stock into. Or, oh, he's 1-for-1 career against Patrick Corbin with a home run. He's just going to completely mash him. Nope, you really can't do that. So it's one of those things where you have to take a look at that. I also always just take a look at bullpens and what bullpen is more fresh what bullpen has the guys that are maybe less effective going yesterday with the better guys going today. I always try to take a look at that in these tighter situations. And then you just take a look at how many innings you think the starter is going to go as well because I always want to try to back a little bit of a better starter in these spots. You know me, I like to fade aces. Guys like Garrett Cole, Chris Sale, which we're going to be getting into in a couple minutes. Those are guys that I'm looking to fade, but you're solid starters. Like a Jose Quintana yesterday is a guy that I backed. Trevor Williams, though he took the loss. He goes seven strong innings, gives up two runs. Like Maybe even like a Jordan Lyles today. That might give you a little bit of a hint for touch them all, but those are the guys I really like to back. Those solid starters that you feel like are going to give you some solid innings. They're not really going to poop the bed or anything like that. That's what I typically do in those situations that hopefully along the way I answered that question about batter versus pitcher stats. If there's a long history like Max Scherzer has faced off against, let's throw out there, Nolan Arenado, and Arenado has had some success off of him with a lot of at-bats, I'll use that if it's Nolan Arenado facing a guy that he's seen twice in his career, just not really meaningful. And then we did get another question into the podcast. This one comes to me from a gentleman that goes by the Twitter handle, Vinny Gumbats, you can. His real name is Vincent J. Conte, Senior. At unit underscore eighty one. Possible question for the podcast. What do you see as the biggest home field advantages for teams, aside from the dimensions of the ballpark, and how do you use them in your handicapping? Respect what you do, and best of luck with your bets. Thank you. And then I had someone else tweet in what actual dimensions I look at, like the ivy on the walls at Wrigley Field and everything like that. And if I can be 100% honest with you, home field advantage doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot to me. The biggest home field advantage I felt like there was in the majors was Tall's Hill out there With the Houston Astros, just because, for one, that ballpark was so funky and how outfielders would play it was so different. Now, you do know that typically with these ball diamonds, the grass is cut a little bit differently because you have some ground ball pitchers that like it a little bit taller. There are other guys that they don't give up so many ground balls. That's something that you do have to take note of, but it really doesn't make too much of an impact on my handicapping. Now you do have to figure that the Red Sox are going to be able to field the Green Monster a little bit different than, say, a complete unknown team. But we're seeing right now that the home field advantage is actually leading to a little bit of an advantage for the road team because you're able to get better prices. And what we noticed last year in general in baseball is that road teams were winning Almost as many games as home teams. Now, I think that home teams were a little bit more successful overall. But in baseball, home field advantage just really doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of difference. It's not like college basketball where you got screaming fans and everything like that. It feels like everything is relatively the same. You just have to take a look at where the hitters hit to. That's the biggest thing because for, say, Fenway Park, if a guy is able to get the ball in the air better in left field, that's going to lead to more home runs and everything like that. You just want to take a look at their spray chart, where these guys are hitting to. If that part is a little bit more shallow, it's got a little bit of a funkier wall, that's something that you need to take note of. But in regards to like actual dimensions, aside from something really unique, it doesn't make much of a difference, and I just haven't found anything that really makes me really factor that into my handicapping at this point. So hopefully that answers those questions, and now let's take a look back at yesterday. What trends should
0: you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black.
1: If you are on Operation Fade the Boston Red Sox, you are currently very profitable as the Red Sox. Dropped both their games of their doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers on Tuesday. It started out with the Tigers being able to get a 7-4 win over the Boston Red Sox in the first game. Chris Sale looked a little bit better. He went 5 innings. He had 10 strikeouts. The problem is, he jacked up his pitch count. And that's why the Boston Red Sox had to get 4 relief innings and they were unable to hold down the fort. He went 97 pitches in those 5 innings. Gave up 2 runs. Heath Embry winds up giving up a Home run in the 6th inning to the Detroit Tigers. Being able to deliver that blast was Ronnie Rodriguez. That was his first home run of the year. And then the Detroit Tigers were able to get a 2-RBI double. That wound up being the difference from Josh Harrison, who's still hitting below 160 for the year, but he was able to do a great job here. And Matthew Boyd gave the Detroit Tigers a quality start. Went 7 innings, gave up 3 runs. Now he did give up Dinger, hitting that home run for the Boston Red Sox. Was Xander Bogarts, and he wound up hitting another one in the ninth inning. He had two in the game for his third and fourth of the year. But all in all, the Detroit Tigers looked good in that game. And then in Game Two of the double dip, they were able to get a four-to-two win over the Boston Red Sox. A Red Sox bullpen that had already been fatigued only got three point one innings out of Hector Velasquez as. He went 3.1 innings, gave up three runs. He was not effective at all. You knew that he wasn't going to be long for this game. If you're looking for one encouraging sign from the Boston Red Sox, it's a fact that in those 5.2 innings of relief that they had to give in Game 2, they only gave up one run. Travis Lakins gave up that one run in 2.2 innings. So all in all, the guys that came in there like Walden, Hernandez, and Lakins all looked good, and then they were able to get a home run in this one from a little bit of an unlikely source in Michael Shivas. That is his first of the season for the Boston Red Sox, but the Detroit Tigers were able to pound out four in this one. Josh Harrison once again had a good game in this one as he had another double in that one to up his average to a buck 59. And then they also got 3 RBI out of Brandon Dixon. This is a guy that has come from out of nowhere. He's hitting 714 for the year. And Spencer Turnbull had a good start in this one for the Detroit Tigers as well. Five innings pitch. Did not give up a single run. It was... Jose Jimenez and, and Victor Alcantara that gave up the two runs for the Detroit Tigers. So all in all, a very good showing from them. How about the showing from the D, from the Baltimore Orioles? They just completely pounded the Chicago White Sox by a count of 9-1. to one. Ivan Nova, another really bad start. Four innings pitch, gives up nine runs, all of which were earned. He entered into this game having not given up a home run. Well, in this one, he gave up four as Chris Crush Davis had his second home run of the year. Renato Nunez went deep for his 6th of the year. Jeff Rickard went deep for his 2nd of the campaign. And Dwight Smith Jr. played long ball for his 5th of the year. What you got to like to see for the Chicago White Sox though is the fact that they were able to get 4 scoreless innings out of the bullpen. You like to see that, but you don't like to see it under those circumstances. And for the Chicago White Sox, they really didn't get a whole lot of offense generated. Lone RBI was driven in by Tim Anderson. And Andrew Cashner is all of a sudden 4-1 his ERA is a 4-1-8, so it's not necessarily a seller, but in this game, goes seven innings, gives up one run, only one walk. That's a very good sign for a guy that has been underachieving badly out there in the city of Baltimore. Speaking of underachieving, how about the Cleveland Indians? They wind up losing to the Mar- Miami Marlins by a count of 3-1. to one. In this one, it was Carlos Carrasco who went four innings only had 62 pitches and then he had to leave the game. I believe that he left due to a knee injury so that is something that you want to keep an eye on because Mike Clevenger already out. that it's leading to them having to use Jeffrey Rodriguez for a start today. But with that said, it was Neil Ramirez that really gas canned the game in the 5th inning. He gave up all 3 runs as Jose Alfaro was able to get the damage started with a home run, a solo shot that was his 4th of the year and the Miami Marlins got a really good start from one Pablo Lopez. points. One innings, his only run allowed was unearned, so you got to give him some credit there. Adam Conley was able to give this team a nice hold. Sergio Romo did not pour lighter fluid on the game, so that was good. And Curtis Granderson, guy that's really been struggling so far this year, he had an RBI in this game as well as a fish. Cash a ticket as a more than two dollar underdog in a lot of spots. So the Tigers cashed as a two dollar underdog, the Tigers did as well. A little bit less of an underdog, but still one that cash. was the San Francisco Giants as they take down the Toronto Blue Jays. Now I do know that there was a lot of steam that came in on the San Francisco Giants, and rightfully so. And Jeff Samarja gave them a decent start in this one. Went 5.1 innings, wound up giving up two runs. It was actually Sam Dyson that was a little bit of a gas can in this one. In one inning, he gave up three runs. As for the Toronto Blue Jays, they were able to get their offense going a little bit late. Eric Sogard had his first home run of the year, and Rowdy Telez went deep for his fifth, but for the San Francisco Giants the offense finally came alive Evan Longoria his third home run of the year Pablo Sandoval who was the only player in the starting lineup that wound up leaving this game with an average above 230 for the San Francisco Giants yes that is said he had his first home run of the year and Brandon Belt pounded out a home run for his fifth of the campaign very good signs there for the San Francisco Giants who have now won two games in a row a team that has also won two games in a row. How about the Arizona Diamondbacks? They wind up taking down the Pittsburgh Pirates in a pitcher's duel by kind of 2-1. to one. Trevor Williams certainly had a good showing in this one. He wound up giving up two runs in seven innings. He can't do much there. Still, a very much a pitcher that you want to be betting on. But for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Luke Weaver looked terrific. 6.1 innings, gives up six hits, one run, and the Pittsburgh Pirates one for ten with men in scoring position. That was ultimately the difference in the game as Adam Jones and David Peralta were able to hit the RBI for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the. Both of the Diamondbacks look good, too. In 2.2 innings, gave up just a combined one hit as Chafin, Archie Bradley, and Greg Holland were able to close the door on the Pittsburgh Pirates, one in which is very badly banged up. You had the Atlanta Braves going on the road against Cincinnati. They wound up losing that game by a count of 7-6. to six. The Reds entered this game with a team batting average right around 200. They were able to muster 9 hits. Tucker Barnard was able to provide a home run his second of the year. And Yasiel Puig went deep for his third. That Yasiel Puig home run was very early in the first inning. As Sonny Gray wound up having his worst start of the year. 5.1 innings he gave up 4 runs, 3 of which were earned. And getting the win for this team in relief was Robert Stevenson. It was a mismatch of Cincinnati. Reds pitchers that entered into this one as they had a total of 8 enter the game as the Atlanta Braves just wouldn't go away quietly as they were down in this game throughout, but They were able to get RBI out of six different players, and in this one, Kevin Gosman just was the reason why the Atlanta Braves lost the game. You wound up giving up six runs, five of which were earned in 5.1 innings. You have to give the Braves bullpen a little bit of credit. They did not give up a single earned run in 2.3 innings of relief as Jesse Biddle, Wesley Parsons, Winkler, and Chad Sabatka all came into the game and. They did not allow a single earned run. There was one unearned run, but that's really not on them. Another team that wound up getting a pretty decent pitching performance of their own was the St. Louis Cardinals as they were able to get a 4-3 win over the Milwaukee Brewers. It was the season debut of Daniel Ponce de Leon in the starting lineup for the Cardinals, and he wound up having a strong five innings. He has a problem with jacking up his pitch count, but he gave up just one run in those five innings. He did give up three walks, but it was Andrew Miller being able to provide A scoreless eighth inning that was the winner for the St. Louis Cardinals team. As Hicks very nearly blew it, as getting a solo shot in the ninth inning for the Milwaukee Brewers was Travis Shaw. That was much needed for him, as that was. His fourth of the year, he hit one a little bit earlier in the game for his third as well. So a big game from him. Orlando Arcia also went deep for his fourth of the campaign. He had been struggling a little bit as well, but the Milwaukee Brewers from Lorenzo Kane, Christian Yelich, and Yasmani Grandal got a grand total of zero hits. I feel like that was a real difference maker in the game. But if you are encouraged by something with the Milwaukee Brewers, it's the fact that Zach Davies had once again a decent outing. He had his pitch count up way too high. He only went 4.2 innings. He had 103 pitches at that point, but he only gave up two runs. And then from there, nobody was really giving up anything for the Brewers' bullpen until Alex Wilson came into the game in one inning He gives up two runs. That winds up being the difference in the game as the St. Louis Cardinals were able to get a home run out of Paul DeYoung in that 8th inning. His 5th of the campaign And Yadier Molina. Wound up having two doubles. He seems to be coming around with the bats. And a team from that same division that is getting hot in a hurry, the Chicago Cubs, they get a 7-2 win over the Los Angeles Dodgers. It feels like eons ago that this team started out 1-6 of one and six, as they have now won 10 of their last 14 games. Jose Quitana is a guy that you got to continue to bet on. He is now 3-1, and one. 7 innings pitch, gives up 2 runs. He was very strong. Steve Ciszek and Kyle Ryan were able to provide some relief for this team as for the LA Dodgers, they didn't get the best start out of Kent Maeda. Goes 4 innings, gives up 6 runs pretty much all of which were early as the Chicago Cubs pounded out six of their seven runs in the first two innings. Anthony Rizzo got a big confidence booster with his fourth home run of the year in the second inning. Javi Baez tacked on a home run in the 7th. That was off of Caleb Ferguson who seems to be showing some chinks in the armor himself right now, but all in all, the Cubs seem to be really rounding into form as their struggling bats all did well. Chris Bryant didn't have it, hit, but Kyle Schwarber was able to up his average. Anthony Rizzo had that home run himself, so very encouraging signs out there in Chicago and very encouraging signs for the Houston Astros as they were able to break their losing streak. They get a 10-4 win over the Minnesota Twins thanks to 6 runs in the 7th and 8th innings. The Lone Home run of the game for the Houston Astros came from Jose Altuve that was his ninth of the campaign and that came in the 8th inning as he was able to supply 3 RBI. Wade Miley got touched up in the 1st inning for 3 runs, but really settled down from there. Final 5 innings did not give up a single run. Hector Rondon wound up giving up a run out of the bullpen, but all in all, the Houston Astros bullpen has been nails And Wade Miley was able to right the ship after that as well. He's still a picture that you really have to bet on. Eddie Rosario, though, for the Minnesota Twins, continues to be sensational. He hit his 10th home run of the year. That was a 3-run shot. He now has 23 RBI on the year. So it's some good signs there for the Minnesota Twins, but Michael Pineda continues to look a little bit more like Michael Pineda. 5.1 innings gives up 8 hits, 4 runs, all of which were earned. And then Trevor Hildenberg wound up giving up 2 runs, which really was the undoing for this team. And 4 of the runs that were given up by the bullpen were unearned as the Minnesota Twins had some very sloppy defense out there in the field. That's something that you do want to note in regards to home field advantages. The Colorado Rockies wound up having to trot out there Jeff Hoffman for a start, and it went about as well as you could expect a Jeff Hoffman start to go. He actually went five innings for the Rockies. He wound up giving up four runs, which is actually a little bit better than I thought he was going to do, but regardless, Washington Nationals were able to get a 6-3 win. The Colorado Rockies were actually able to jump on the Nationals early. They had a 2 to nothing lead after two innings, but from there, Patrick Corbin settled down. He went six innings, gave up three runs, but only two of which were earned. He had six strikeouts, and providing the power for the Colorado Rockies with a dinger was Raymel Tapia. That is his third home run of the year and his second in as many games, but past that, they weren't able to get a whole lot of offense generated. As for the Washington Nationals, They didn't have a home run in this game, but Howie Kendrick continues to be a difference maker for this team. He had two RBI in this one, even though he didn't have a hit. And then at the top of the lineup, Adam Eaton and Victor Robles both had two hits for the squad, so very good to see there. And Wilmer Defoe at the bottom of the lineup also had two hits. you got to like that. For the New York Yankees, despite the fact that they're so badly banged up and despite the fact that they did not have Clint Frazier in the lineup in this one, they get a 7-5 win over the LA Angels you got to continue to fade Chris Stratton. Five innings pitch gives up nine hits, four runs, all of which were earned against a Yankees team that six of their nine starters from opening day are currently out. And then from there, the bullpen wasn't a whole heck of a lot better. Cody Allen wound up giving this team a scoreless outing, but they did wind up having three runs given up by their bullpen as a whole. The LA Angels bullpen just seems to be getting a little bit gassed at this point, though it was encouraging that Justin Bohr wound up having a grand slam home run in the 8th inning, his second of the year, and that was a 4-RBI dinger, obviously, as well, but Mike Trout wound up getting walked twice in this game. He wasn't able to generate a hit, but for the New York Yankees, they got a quality start from Domingo Herman. It was unclear whether or not he was going to start in this game, and it's a good thing that he did. Gave up one run in 6.2 innings, and that run was unearned, though the bugaboo for the Yankees right now is Caleb Green out there in the bullpen. His ERA is a 16.43 as he gave up that grand slam. He has not been good, but what has been good, Luke Voigt. He had two home runs in this one, his sixth and seventh of the campaign. For his first home run of the year, it was Mike Ford who was able to up his average. He had two hits in this one. Very encouraging signs along with Brett Gardner being able to get four hits. The Yankees continue to find a way and the A's continue to get back on track themselves. They get an 11 to5 win over the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are just not getting very good bullpen pitching themselves as they were expected to probably have Wei Che hung start the game tomorrow they are currently without a listed starter it is completely unclear they're going to be going with some sort of an opener and then they're going to be going with some sort of a bullpen game it's really interesting to see what happens there because Lance Lynn did not give them the start that they wanted he went 3.1 innings gave up eight runs all of which were earned It was absolutely atrocious. Now for the Texas Rangers, Danny Santana continues to be a good story. He had his second home run of the year. He had three hits in this one. He's doing a great job at the top of the lineup. He's been a nice find, but for the Oakland A's, Matt Chapman had a home run. His seventh of the year. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players generate an RBI or more for the Oakland A's. Frankie Montas had a decent start in this one, Went 5.2 innings, gave up 3 runs, all of which were earned, but then the bullpen did an okay job. He has Miro Petit, did not give up a single run, but you have to be a little bit cautious whenever Ryan Dahl comes into the game. He wound up giving up 2 more runs in this one. His ERA is currently at 13.5, and even though the A's had 11 runs, they wound up leaving 10 men on bases. They had 14 hits and j- drew 6 walks, so Things not going well for the Texas Rangers. Pitching staff, you got to be taking a look at overs with them. And for the San Diego Padres, things went very well on Tuesday as they were able to knock off the Mariners by kind of 6-3. They didn't have any home runs in this one the Mariners didn't. That was just their second game of the year without one through 26 games, which is actually pretty remarkable to say the least. And Eric Swanson was not able to give them a good start. He wound up giving up 5 runs in 5.2 innings, 4 of which were earned. The bullpen from there actually looked decent and Jason Bradford Wound up being able to give this team an inning as well. He had been on the injured list for much of the year, so a good sign out there for the Seattle Mariners' bullpen. But a good sign for the San Diego Padres was Adam was Austin Hedges being able to get a home run. That is his fourth of the campaign. And Fanmio Reyes, a man that has been putting together some very hard contact but was just hitting it right at people, he wound up going deep twice in this game for his fifth and sixth home runs of the year. Nick Markovicus appears to continue to be a decent starter. Nothing great, but nothing awful. He goes five innings, gives up two runs. The five walks are a massive issue, but he seems to be putting things together. And the lone run that was given up out of the bullpen was from Craig Stammon. He continues to be a reliable arm, though his ERA is still a 2.57 as the Padres might actually have the best closer in the game right now, dare I say, Kirby Yates. Gets his 11th save of the season. He has a 0.69 ERA. He has been absolutely sensational. And then Wingenter as the setup man has been very good for this team as well. So what we're noticing is that the San Diego Padres continues to be nails out of the bullpen. Got to be taking overs with the Texas Rangers. Chris Stratton continues to be a pitcher that you really need to fade. Just fade the Boston Red Sox at all costs. The Miami Marlins, whenever you're getting $2 or greater, worth a little bit of a look. The Pittsburgh Pirates not hitting well and the San Francisco Giants continues to be a team that might be a little bit undervalued as well. And then speaking of teams that are starting to come on, I forgot about this one. The New York Mets were able to knock off the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 9-0. to Zach Eflin won four innings, gave up four runs, three of which were earned. And then from there... They wound up getting a whole lot of relief out of Drew Anderson. He was able to eat up four innings for the team, but he gave up five runs. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they only had a combined five hits. The bats seemed to be going a little bit cold with them. They were very good at the beginning of the year. Now things are on the fritz a little bit as Zach Wheeler might be back to his old self. 11 strikeouts and in seven innings. So perhaps we need to take Zach Wheeler off the list of guys to fade. And then how about getting home runs for the New York Mets? Todd Frazier, his first of the campaign, just recently off the disabled list. And Zach Wheeler, who also had a double. He had three RBI in this game. Just absolutely inexcusable to give up three RBI to the pitcher. And I also forgot about the Tampa Bay Rays, who win their 15th game of the year, all of which have been by two-plus runs. That's a trend that you got to look out for. As Homer Bailey Day might be back. He went one inning. He had 38 total pitches, gave up four earned runs, four walks, Yep, that is the Homer Bailey that we all know and love. The good news for the Kansas City Royals is that Martín Maldonado got his first home run of the year, which actually turned out to be his first RBI. But Mike Zanino hit a dinger for the Tampa Bay Rays, and then they were able to go with Ryan Stanek as a starter, and then Jalen Beeks going 4.2 innings. Neither of these two gentlemen gave up a run, as the one guy that did give up a run for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he gave up both of them, was Austin Pruitt. He now is a 1080 ERA. You have to take a look to see when he pitches, because he might be a little bit of a guy to fade for the Rays because they've got some good arms out there in the bullpen and then they've got some not so good ones but all in all very interesting day out there in the majors and now to talk a little bit more about today's slate and what he's seen in general Eric Rosenthal of the Between the Lines podcast and that is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting
0: Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia hotline.
1: And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia tequila studios out here in Las Vegas. Great pleasure to be joined by our next guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Sports. Does a great job as the as the host of the Between the Lines podcast. He does that in conjunction with DraftKings. He does great work there. He breaks out a little bit of everything, MLB, NFL, with the draft coming up, the NBA, the list goes on and on. It is Eric Rosenthal joining me, and he's also a fellow Green Bay Packers fan. Eric, my fellow Packers fan, how are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm excited for uh, the Packers draft, two first round picks, picking at number 12, our first one. It's exciting, a time for the NFL draft, but I'm more excited to talk baseball with you.
1: Excellent. And... Something else, being a Wisconsin sports fan that I am, that I'm excited about is the Milwaukee Brewers game tomorrow. They're going to be facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. This one should be an interesting one as Brewers are a slight underdog. Looks like it's going to be Adam Wainwright going for the St. Louis Cardinals and just seen going for the Milwaukee Brewers. And it's been a little bit up and down so far this year for Brewers pitching in general. But I think that the big redeeming quality that the Brewers have is that, they have so many guys that are hitting the ball out of the yard. It is insane. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, first of all, it feels like a little throwback with Adam Wainwright pitching for the Cardinals still. It feels like he's been doing that forever. But yeah, I mean, the Brewers are hitting the cover off the ball. Christian Yelich, maybe back to back MVP. I, I, you know, I'm a little biased. I've got some cool stories about Yelich if I can tell him, but, uh, yeah, yeah, they've been tearing the cover off the ball.
1: Oh, absolutely. And please do tell one of those stories about Christian Yelich because I know that you're an L.A. guy and I know that he's from the area.
2: Yeah. So recently, there was uh, unfortunately a mass shooting at uh, a bar in my hometown, Christian's hometown of uh, the Thousand dollars West Lake area. And I was involved with the, uh, the charity and raising money for the families that were affected. And Christian was nice enough to autograph multiple items. I was able to go to his house, pick them up, sell them at the charity auction and just raise money for the families in need and uh, it's just awesome that he's you know a great guy on the field obviously the mvp maybe the best player in baseball outside of mike trout but a great guy off the field he did that and then also had other charity work for the fires the california strong stuff that he he worked with it was just so nice of him to put his time effort and energy to to help people in need and and do me that favor he's also been great Um, and other times i got my brother's free tickets to a, a dodgers versus brewers game he's just been an amazing guy off the field that i think It's nice to see an elite player like him be so dominant on the field while also being just an amazing person off of it. I just want to give him all the credit in the world because he doesn't talk about it. You know, I'm telling the story right now, but if I didn't tell it, nobody would know, and he doesn't care. I just really appreciate that about him.
1: Absolutely. I have friends out there that live in Milwaukee as well, and I've heard very similar stories, not maybe to that extent, but him being able to take out some time whenever they see him in public and just take a couple minutes, take some pictures, Really good to see as we've got Eric Rosenthal joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And then we've got a couple other really interesting games that are going to be on the card for tomorrow. I do think that the San Francisco Giants versus Blue Jays game is a little bit intriguing. we got Drew Pomerantz on the bump for the San Francisco Giants and Clay Buckles going for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a San Francisco Giants team that I think is one of the weirdest out there in the league. This team has nobody that's hitting right now, but they're, bullpen ERA is the best in the big leagues. As of right now, I think that really, whenever you take a look at a Giants game, you have to be taking a look at the total under before you look at absolutely anything else on the board.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I also think the other side of it would be the, the first half betting against the Giants. Their bullpen is so great, helps them keep them in games late, and maybe they can even come back and win games late. But their offense is so poor, and then if they don't have great pitching in the first five innings, you can come out with a loss. I think uh yeah the under is a way to look but also just first I think, is against the Giants when their bullpen doesn't matter. I think that's another way to look.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you there. As some of the Giants starters have been pretty good. I've been liking to bet on Derek Rodriguez so far this year, but you're right, with a guy like Drew Pomerant, uh, it's a little bit dicey before you get two guys in the bullpen like a Sam Dyson and company. And then something else I've noticed so far this year in general, we don't have a whole lot of aces going on the bump on Wednesday, but With that said, betting against aces has been so profitable this year. We saw Chris Sale go down on Tuesday against the Detroit Tigers. Max Scherzer has been getting knocked around. Jacob DeGrom is currently on the injured list, but in the two starts before then, he did not look good. Garrett Cole got completely torched by the Texas Rangers. What have you been noticing so far this year that's been profitable? Because for me, it's been really just fading these aces and getting these massive plus prices. You said it better
2: than I'm gonna say it. I could repeat some of the sentiments, but yeah, betting against aces at just giant numbers that are are too high has been very profitable. And I think it will continue to be profitable, even if they're on. It's like it's still baseball, you know. One team could hit three singles and a homer, and they get four runs. The other team hits three homers and a single, and they get three. Like it's still baseball, and randomness happens more so than a, you know a, a sport like basketball, where eventually the best team is going to win at a high percentage of the time. It's 27 outs and a bloop and a blast. I forget what game it was, but the starter was doing well, had a little bloop single, and then gave up a home run and wound up losing as like a minus 280 favorite. And that's all it takes. And i have going to continue to look for those spots where there's going to be a low-scoring game and one or two hits go your way, and you can wind up winning at plus 250 or plus 280 or whatever it is.
1: Absolutely. We do have Eric Rosenthal joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting, and I know that you're a gentleman that's out there in the L.A. area, and the Dodgers are currently in town to face off against the Chicago Cubs. I think this one is interesting, as it's going to be Walker Buehler going up, up against Cole Hamels on Wednesday. Hamels has been good. Three and zero, two seven seven ERA, but Walker Buehler, I think we both agree, hasn't looked like himself so far this year. He is two and zero, but the ERA is a five four zero. He's been allowing a little bit more of hard contact than normal. What do you make out of this game? Because I think it's really interesting with the Dodgers being a very slight favorite, and obviously we're going to need to check the wind and everything like that because that plays such a big factor in these games in Wrigley Field. But I do think that this Dodgers team is very intriguing because they went from losing six straight to now being on a very good streak of their own.
2: Yeah, I mean, the way they've been, the way they hit the home runs at the beginning of the year is just insanity. And it doesn't matter if your ERA is five point, whatever, if your team's going to put up eight or ten runs. I don't trust Cole Hamill at his age to have this success continue. Walker Buehler has obviously struggled, and I would guess he's more of the, I don't want to say ace, but more of the, Good starting pitcher rather than what we've seen in Cole Hamels, who used to be an ace, I don't trust as much. And I think the Dodgers have the better offense. That's where I'd lean. Obviously, there might be some L.A. bias coming out here. But I'd expect at the end of the year, I think we both expect Cole Hamels' ERA to be higher than it is at this moment. We both expect Walker Brewer's ERA to be lower than it is at this moment. And I'm a buy low, sell high guy. So it seems to me sell high on Cole Hamels when he's been doing great, and by low on Walker Bueller when he struggled a bit.
1: And speaking of by low, sell high, we've got the Chicago White Sox versus the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow. And on the opening line, the Orioles are favorite. I know that Irvin Santana is on the mound for the Chicago White Sox. I know that the Orioles maybe have been a little bit better than expected so far this year, entering into Tuesday's night night's action. They were 8-16, and 16, but I just can't find a way to back the Orioles as a favorite. I don't know if you can. But me personally, no Surrey. I mean,
2: goodness gracious, possibly. I don't think you're going to make a lot of money or feel comfortable taking the Orioles as a favorite at any time. Like, they they can easily just, like, not score. Their team is just pretty bad. I don't have a strong feeling on that game either way. But traditionally, it's probably pass on betting on the favorites of Orioles. unless something really sticks out, there's injuries, people sitting out. Whatever, the bullpen's killed.
1: As we've got Eric Rosenthal joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And then I know that you're out there in the L.A. area, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, and it's going to be CC Sabathia and Felix Pina going for the L.A. Angels versus New York Yankees game. I think this one is really intriguing because we saw the Yankees take the first game of this series, one in which went 14 innings, and we know that the L.A. Angels have had a pretty good bullpen this year, and Pina doesn't necessarily go deep into starts. I think this might be a good spot to be able to take the Yankees at a little bit of a plus price. Obviously, CC Sabathia is a little bit older, but the pitching is still there for the Yankees despite the fact that they've got so many injuries. Do you have any thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah. CC Sabathia against Mike Trout seems like a home run waiting to happen. But if he can avoid Trout, uh, the damage from Trout, you know, the Yankees offense should still be able to score against him. I don't fully trust the rest of the Angels besides Mike Trout. I think we're going to get a plus price. There's definitely could be some value there, and just you gotta hope Mike Trout hits a liner at somebody, or let him get hit by a pitch, and just get the next get Pujols out or whatever, and avoid limitless as I call Mike Trout causing so much damage.
1: And it's just so amazing. I don't know if there's any one team in the big leagues that as a position player more valuable than Mike Trout because you just take a look up and down the rest of the Angels. I know that Andralton Simmons is coming on. He's being able to give this team a little bit of something. And Brandon Goodwin actually has been a nice find out there in the outfield, but it feels like it's Mike Trout and then it's everyone else. You've got like Zach Cozart and Peter Borges hitting a 100. Albert Pujols is ancient. He's not delivering anything. Justin Bohr is absolutely awful. If they don't get anything out of Mike Trout, I just don't see the Angels being able to score runs.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, their team just doesn't hit the baseball. And you said, okay, <laughs> Andrelton Simmons is hitting well. Like, I don't have a stats in front of me, but how well has he been doing this year?
1: Like, honestly. He's actually now at a 275. He struggled to begin the year, but he's actually heated up the past couple of games.
2: Right. But my, my point being, okay, he's, he's hitting 275 now. Uh, okay. Like, that's, that's his help. A 275 yeah. hitter with one home run. Like, <laughs> yep, that's, that's that help. Just, Okay, well, oh, there you God. go. It is, it's on base at sub 300. It looks like pulling it up real quick. Sub 300 on base with a uh, one home run the whole year, and we're we're talking about how he's a helpful hitter in the, their lineup. Uh, that's not, that's not a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's not good to say the least. That's not too many redeeming qualities with the Angels' offense outside of Mike Trout. I guess you could say Daniel Fletcher is doing something. I I'm trying to be polite to the rest of these guys. I'm. Looking for something. There's just not too much that's coming out. But something that I can say something very polite about is how the Indians are starting to come on. The Indians obviously blew that second game of the doubleheader against the Atlanta Braves a couple of days ago. But it feels like the starting pitching for this team is really good. And I actually think that this is a team that might have some value moving forward just because I think that Jose Ramirez is going to be hitting above 200 to finish off the year. Francisco Lindor's now back in the lineup. They also now have Carlos Gonzalez and Jason Kipnis as well. This is a Cleveland Indians team that was able to weather the storm of having those guys out and weathered it above 500. This is a team that I think can get hot here in the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to hear me talk positively about Jason Kipnis on this or any other podcast at this <laughs> point in his career. I think he's pretty washed up. I think he was washed up pretty much last year. And that's not to criticize him. It's not like I could go out there and hit the baseball i say the same thing about Dustin Pedroia. I actually live now uh, down in San Diego or split my time between San Diego and L.A. and go into some Padres games, and Pedroia has just been awful as well. But um, back to the Indians, more upside than downside from where they've been. You'd expect them to hit better. Jose Ramirez, especially, like you said, I I believe that offense should heat up.
1: Eric, has there been anything else in baseball that's really stood out to you the first, I would say, month, maybe a little bit less of the season because I mentioned the Aces struggling and anything like that. Is there anything else that's really jumping out at you? Well, the Red Sox are six games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the
2: AL East. I think that's a pretty significant decline. They've been outscored by 43 runs. The Red Sox have been an absolute disaster for them. I think the only team in the league it has been outscored by more runs, would be the Baltimore Orioles, I believe, right? Has anybody else been worse? I don't maybe think the Man- so. Yeah, I think that Marlins,
1: it is the guess, Orioles.
2: Yeah. The- so, Marlins, Orioles, and then Red Sox, like, bottom three teams being outscored by the season run differential. That is a shocking and amazing stat, and uh interested to see if the Red Sox can turn it around or not. I think they can't super early. To me, it's like an NFL team being 0-2. So early in the season, you just lose a few games, things go wrong, but you have a ton of time to turn it around. and I don't know what the Red Sox odds to with the ALE star, but I would guess that it's, again, I'm a buy low, sell high guy. It's maybe time to sell high on the Rays if you have a future there and buy low on the Red Sox.
1: Absolutely. And, Eric, I'd like to close it up with this. I know that you're doing great work out there with all of your podcasts. I know you're doing great work out there on social media as well. Let the good people know where they can find your work, where they can download your podcasts, and just where they can see more of you in general.
2: Well, I'd say, first of all, you know, hey, you enjoyed this podcast, listen to this one. It's a good podcast, that's why I'm on it. I'm here to talk to you, not to promote my stuff. But you can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Sports. You can find everything from there. I have a good podcast, too, but people got a lot of stuff to do. This is a great podcast. I love talking to you about baseball. I'm sure we'll talk about other sports in the future. I know when college basketball comes back, we'll talk about that. But honestly, it's easy to find my stuff, but I'm just here to talk to you and enjoy talking sports with you.
1: Absolutely, and I do appreciate it. A big thanks to Eric Rosenthal for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all.
0: Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem. So, yeah, you better not blow it.
1: A big thanks to Eric Rosenthal for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Azunya Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the podcast that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
1: Now please do note that any changes that are made to these plays going to be noted on my Twitter page, at Square 81 We've got a couple plays that are still dangling out there that have yet to be locked in. I will be noting these as we go along. We also have a couple of games off the board because we had some pitching changes. It's nothing like yesterday where it felt like two-thirds of the games were off the board. That was just absolutely atrocious. Hopefully, I did my best in doing so yesterday, but same will hold true today as we start in Las Vegas rotation order. 951-952 on the bagging rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers are in St. Louis to face off against the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright is still in the league, and he's pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals. Ulysses Jacine for the Milwaukee Brewers, so all in this game, is 9, and it is flat. Minus 110 on the over, minus 110 on the under, and it is all across the board. The St. Louis Cardinals laying minus 120, and if you like the Brewers, you're going to get plus 110. This is a spot where I do think that both these pitchers are going to have decent outings. I don't think that either of these guys are going to light the world on fire. I don't see anyone going seven scoreless. But I do think that Ulysses Justine is going to be able to give this team a quality start. And I think that Wainwright can go five or six strong giving up a run or two. I think that the advantage here does go to the Milwaukee Brewers because they do have the better lineup in general. I do like the way the St. Louis Cardinals have been coming on as of late. But when you've got a guy like Christian Yelich, who in the first 22 games of the year has 14 home runs and 34 RBI if I remember correctly. That's just something that you cannot duplicate. The St. Louis Cardinals are also using a little bit of a mismatch of pitchers along with the Brewers as well, but being able to get Zach Davies going a little bit yesterday was big for the Brewers because he's been one of their more reliable starters. But then you just take a look at the guys in general for the Brewers. Yelich is hitting above 300, as we all know. Yasmani Grandal hitting 333. Ryan Braun has been slumping along with Travis Shaw. Jesus Aguiar, we know, needs to pick it up in Orlando Arcia. But Lorenzo Kane at the top lineup has been doing a great job of being able to get on base. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt has picked it up with the bat, and Paul DeYoung hitting above 330. Marcel. Zuna has 8 home runs so far this year and Jose Martinez been doing a great job as well. Yadier Molina has been picking it up as of late but all in all he hasn't been great. I will say that Dexter Fowler is really out for this team but after a great start, Colton Wong has cooled off a little bit and Matt Carpenter seems to be in a little bit of a slump as well. This game just reads a little bit more 4-3 to three for me and I just think that Adam Wainwright is going to be touched up a little bit more and I think that the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen though it's good, not going to be able to hold up and I think that Christian Yelich could deliver the winning hit for the Brewers. I give them a slight edge here which is why I'm going to be looking at the plus price and the under. Currently Wayne C-mode on both these plays. Going to see if the Brewers get a little bit more steam because as we know, they've been using a bunch of random pitchers so maybe the Sharps are going to come in and try to take the St. Louis Cardinals with the Brewers using a lot of their bullpen and I'm going to see if the Sharps want to take a little bit more of an overprice as well. Currently in wait and see mode on both those plays. 953-954 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. Herman Marquez goes for the Colorado Rockies. Anibal Sanchez for the Washington Nationals in this game is 11. and It is shaded under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you want to take a shot here on the Rockies, could be laying anywhere between minus 145 and minus 148. If you like the Nationals, you're going to get anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138. you got to think that Herman Marquez is going to have to go deep in this game after... The Rockies over the past couple days have had to use a whole mishmash of pitchers with Tyler Anderson only going three innings on Monday and on Tuesday. They're having to rely on a gentleman by the name of Jeff Hoffman to provide a start. Not necessarily good there, but Herman Marquez has been good. In his four starts so far this year, Herman Marquez 2-1, ERA, whip below one, He has went an average of about eight innings in each of these starts, too. He's really been going deep in the games. We all remember the one-hit shutout that he had against the San Francisco Giants earlier this year. He has allowed a couple more home runs than you'd like. He's allowed three dingers so far this year, but Anibal Sanchez doesn't necessarily go deep into starts. So far, he's had four starts this year. He's went 22 innings. That's not necessarily a redeeming quality for the Washington Nationals because they've got one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. This is a total I'm going to take under because I think that Marquez is going to do a very good job against the Washington Nationals. We all know that Anthony Rendon can hit. Going into Tuesday... He was hitting 371 with six home runs, 18 RBI, have been doing a sensational job. But Juan Soto has been hitting below 250. Ryan Zimmerman has not really picked it up with the bad guys like Wilmer Defoe and Matt Adams and company. Not doing a lack of a lot. You gotta like what Howie Kendrick is able to bring to the lineup, but Brian Dozier hitting below the Mendoza line as well, though he was able to hit a home run of his own on Monday. And taking a look at the Colorado Rockies, this team has gotten hot at the right time. After starting out the year. 3 and 12. They have won seven out of their last eight games going into Tuesday. Charlie Blackman was able to hit a pair of home runs in their series against the Phillies to really get going. Nolan Arenado had a streak of a home run in three consecutive games last week. Ian Desmond seems to finally be picking it up with the bat. Ryan McBann's been a little bit cold, but his presence alone is a help for this team. David Dahl hitting above 300 as well. Trevor Story is picking it up with the average. So, a lot to like with Colorado Rockies in this spot. This is a spot where I do take a look at the Colorado Rockies. I am in wait-and-see mode to see if the Jews can drop on their price a little bit. And I might even consider a run-line price if the Washington Nationals bullpen gets quite taxed on Tuesday as well. So currently in wait-and-see mode there, but I've already locked in the under on this game. 955, 956 on the betting rotation. It is the Atlanta Braves going on the road to face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Tanner Rorak going on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Mike Soroka goes for the Atlanta Braves. The total on this game is 9. And the 9 is shaded to the over. Over is minus 120. The under is even. And then we're seeing a couple 9.5s pop up as well. The under on 9.5 is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And we're seeing the Braves as a slight favorite. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 112. If you like the Reds, you're going to get anywhere between even money and plus 102. The Reds' offense seemed to... Bust out a little bit yesterday, but I still have my doubts with this Reds offense because as a team going into Tuesday, they were hitting below 200 as a squad. Eugenia Suarez, Joey Votto, and bats like that, you got to think are going to pick it up eventually, but... Jesse Winkler has been their main form of power. He had six home runs going into Tuesday, but he was hitting just a buck seventy two. Dan Diedrich had five home runs and 13 RBI of his own, but he's only hitting 220. Tucker Barnard and Caselli at the catcher spot have actually been good for this team. And Jose Iglesias doing an okay job at the bottom of the lineup, but all in all, the Cincinnati Reds don't have a lot of bats going. And then with Tanner Roark, he's been doing a good job of being able to evade disaster. He's 1 0 with the 360 ERA, but in 20 innings pitch, he has had an issue with. With the walks, giving out eight of them, and I actually like what I'm seeing out of Mets Roca. He's had only one start so far this year. He won five innings in that start. Wound up giving up four hits two walks, and one earned run. He was relatively effective. That was a start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, who we know have a better lineup than the Cincinnati Reds. So for that reason, currently looking at the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves just have a much, much better lineup in general. Ronald Acuna Jr. hitting right around 300 this year. He's been able to supply some power. Nick Marcakis has been doing a great job. Danzy Swanson has nearly 20 RBI so far this year. Josh Donaldson has been picking up with the bat as well. He was able to have a multi-home run game against the Indians in that series, and Tyler Flowers doing a great job at the catcher spot, hitting above 300. and then Ozzie Albies at the top of the lineup has also been doing a nice job of being able to get on base, so I do like what I'm seeing out of the Atlanta Braves. The Braves' bullpen, as we know, it is not good, and the Cincinnati Reds do have a little bit of an advantage there, so... It is a little bit nerve-wracking that Mike Soroka isn't necessarily a guy that you can rely upon for 7-plus innings, but I do think that the Atlanta Braves are going to be able to get a quality start out of him, and I do think that with how lightly the Reds are hitting right now, you got to take a look at the under. I've already locked in the Braves at minus 110. Currently Wayne C mode on the under. I'm going to try to see if 9.5 is a little bit more favorable juice. If not, I'm going to lock in under 9 at even juice, so... That is where I'm at. They're going to be playing the Braves and the under. Just in wait and see mode on that under. 957, 958 on the betting rotation. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks in Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Jordan Lyles on the bump for the Pirates. Meanwhile... Merrill Kelly goes for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total in this game is 8, and it is shaded under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be getting plus 120 on this game. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Pirates are a minus 130 favorite. I absolutely love what I've seen out of Jordan Lyles so far this year. And with Merrill Kelly, he feels like he's the West Coast version of Chris Archer. What I mean by that is that he actually has some pretty good stuff but he just tries to strike everyone out, and because he tries to strike everyone out, it just jacks up his pitch count, which is why we saw in the last time that he took the mound against the Chicago Cubs, he wound up getting knocked out after four innings. I believe that he only gave up three runs in that start, which is why he has a 4.37 ERA, but in four starts, so for the series, only won 22 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 10 walks as well, which is what you don't like, and Jordan Lyles has been absolutely sensational for the Pittsburgh Pirates this year. 2-0, 0-5-3 ERA in his three starts, 17 innings pitched. He's given up five walks. He's given up one long ball, and that's really the only amount of earned runs that he's given up so far this year. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they don't necessarily have a lot of bats that are raking at this point. Josh Bell and Melky Cabrera are both hitting right around 300. you got to like what they're doing, but they're having to rely on guys like Cool Tucker to be able to generate some offense, they do have Gregory Polanco back in the lineup. That's obviously a very good sign, but nearly half the infield of this team is currently on the injured list. That's holding them back in Jungle Kong, just as not got in the back going so far this year. He's hitting below 200, but you have to like that Colin Moran at the third base spot has also been able to hit for some average Meanwhile, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've got a team that's been hitting pretty well. Gerard Dyson at the top of the lineup has nearly a 400 OBP. Christian Walker hitting above 340 so far this year. Adam Jones is hitting 300, and so is David Peralta. Eduardo Escobar's been picking up at the bat. He was hitting right around 222 a couple days ago. He's up that to more of a 250. Catal Martez went into a little bit of a funk. But he, for the year, also hitting four home runs at 16 RBI. And Walker himself headed into Tuesday with seven home runs. But I do think that Jordan Lyles is going to be able to provide a very good start. And I think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I'm currently waiting C mode on the Pirates. Going to try to lay more of a 120 number instead of a 130 number. And I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. So I've already locked in the under eight here. But I think the Pirates are going to be able to prevail in this one. I think that Merrill Kelly is going to hand it to a bullpen that for the Arizona Diamondbacks has not been very great. So for that reason, on this total under, and I'm on the Pittsburgh Pirates, Already locked in the total in Wayne C mode on the number I get on the Diamondbacks. 959-960 on the betting rotation. The New York Mets play hosts to the Philadelphia Phillies. Vince Velasquez goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Jason Vargas for the New York Mets. The total on this game is 8.5 and it is shaded over. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you like the Philadelphia Phillies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 110 and minus 112. If you want to take a shot here on the Mets, you're going to get anywhere between even money and plus 102. Jason Vargas is currently on the fade list until further notice. And Vince Velasquez actually did not look very good in spring training this year. But he was a pretty good bet on pitcher last year. And he's actually been off to a pretty darn good start so far this year. He hasn't gotten a decision in any of his starts, but he's won 17 and two-thirds innings in his three starts. He has allowed three home runs. That's a little bit of an issue, but he's limited the walks with only four of them, Two-five-five ERA. Meanwhile, for Jason Vargas, the 1-0 record is very deceiving as he has an ERA of a 9-5-8. He's allowed 17 hits in 10 and a third innings, and he's allowed three dingers. Considering the Philadelphia Phillies have a bunch of mashers in the lineup, that's not necessarily good. As you've got Mikel Franco heading into Tuesday with six home runs, 18 RBI, Gene Segura hitting above 300 so far this year, and then you've got Bryce Harper, who obviously had that bad ejection on Monday, but we all know what he's able to do with the bat, JT Riamuto. Andrew McCutcheon does a good job of just being able to find ways on in general, and Reese Hoskins has a lot of power along with Cesar Hernandez. And then a very intriguing player for this team is Phil Gosselin, who actually had a nice series against the Colorado Rockies. He came back to earth a little bit in the first couple games of this series, but he might be a guy that could provide a couple base hits as well. And then for the New York Mets, we all know about their offense. Pete Alonso has been doing a great job hitting above 300 Heading into Tuesday, he had 8 home runs, 21 RBI. Jeff McNeil hitting just South of 400 so far this year. He has been absolutely terrific. He had his first home run of the year on Monday as well. And then when you take a look at the New York Mets, just up and down the lineup, you've got a bunch of guys that are a threat to be able to hit. I know that Brandon Nimmo and Robinson Cano have not really gotten it done with the average, but Michael Comforto hitting just below 300 along with Wilson Ramos. Todd Frazier entered back into the lineup on Tuesday, so that was very good for the team. And then Brandon Nimmo at the top of the lineup hasn't been hitting for average, but he's been doing a good job of being able to get on as well. I think that this is a total that certainly is going to go over. I'm currently weighing Simo to see if I can get minus 110 juice instead of 115, but. I think that the Phillies are just going to hit Jason Vargas and they're going to hit Jason Vargas hard. And one thing that we also know about the New York Mets, their bullpen is absolutely awful as well. So looking at a Phillies run line here, currently minus one and a half is plus 150. Going to see if that takes up a little bit. If it becomes a situation where the Phillies are an underdog, I'll probably just take the plus price there. So I'm right now looking at the Phillies either on the money line or the run line and the over in the spot, just waiting to see what numbers I'm going to get in general. 961-962 on the betting rotation. We've got the LA Dodgers in Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Cole Hamels taking the bump for the Cubs. Walker Bueller on the mound for the L.A. Dodgers. The Dodgers are the favorite in this game. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. If you like the Cubs, you're going to get anywhere between even money and plus 110. Currently, no total listed on this game as this game is being played in Wrigley Field, so that total is going to be based on the win. And I do think that it's very intriguing. I'm probably going to take a look at it over just because we know just how lethal the Dodgers lineup can be. And then for the Chicago Cubs, Cole Hamels has been pitching decent, and I will say, the bullpen has been coming on quite well so I'm actually going to look at the Cubs in this spot just because with the LA Dodgers you just don't have too many guys that you can rely upon. Even Kenley Jansen has become unreliable. Heck, Pedro Bias might be the best guy in the bullpen at this point. Caleb Ferguson has had some good outings the past couple years but there are times where he gives it up. Yimi Garcia is just absolutely awful for this team you've got guys like Scott Alexander that you just cannot trust and then with the Chicago Cubs the bat seemed to be coming alive as well. Javi Baez hitting right around 300 going into Tuesday He had six home runs, 17 RBI. Jason Hayward had been hitting above 350 as well. Daniel Descalso has been providing a lot of offense for the team as well. Anthony Rizzo has not necessarily gotten it done with the bat along with Chris Bryant, but you gotta think at some point these guys are going to be able to hit. We all know that Ben Zobras is able to provide a little bit of everything for the team, and you gotta think that at some point things are going to turn around for Kyle Schwarber as well. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, they've been getting production out of everyone. Kike. Hernandez, Justin Turner, David Fries have been picking it up with the bats. A.J. Pollock is a little bit cold right now, but Cody Bellinger, what more can be said about him? Going into Tuesday, he was hitting 4.24 with 11 home runs and 28 RBI. If it weren't for Christian Yelich, he'd right now be the NL MVP in my book. You got to think that the catcher spot is going to pick things up as well. Austin Barnes started out the year white hot. He's been in a little bit of a cold streak. And then whenever they have Gale behind the plate, he just hasn't been hitting. So all in all, I do think that this is a total that I'll take a look at with the over if the wind is not like ridiculously blowing in and that'll lead to a really harebrained total. But I'm going to be on the Chicago Cubs in this spot. I just have more faith in the combination of Cole Hamels and that bullpen rather than Walker Buehler, who... I mentioned in that interview with Eric Rosenthal, has a 540 ERA, has looked rough in a couple starts, and that Dodgers bullpen, so currently Wayne C mode as to what number I'm going to get on the Cubs, and currently just in weight mode in general on the total as none is listed. 963 and 964 on the bank rotation. It is the Kansas City Royals on the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. This game is currently off the board because we did not know who the Tampa Bay Rays starter was going to be during the afternoon, but it has been revealed that Blake Snell is going to be coming off the DL, and he's going to be making a start for the Tampa Bay. Bay Rays and Jacob Junis is going to be opposing him for the Kansas City Royals. I can tell you right now, I'm going to be on the Tampa Bay Rays run line. They have won 15 games so far this year. They have won every one of those games by at least two runs, and Jacob Junis is not a guy that I'm able to put my chips in the basket with. You got to think that Blake Sell is going to be on a tight pitch count. He was even before the injury. Now that he wound up having to spend a couple days on the injured list, you got to think that that's going to be the case. He's actually been giving up a little bit of hard contact. Four home runs in 25 innings so far this year, but his whip is a .76. That's absolutely sensational. And then for Jacob Junis, in his five starts so far this year, he's racked up 27 and the third innings. His whip is a 1.54 because he lends himself to a little bit too much hard contact. 34 hits in general five of those hits being home runs. He has a six-two-six ERA. I know that Austin Meadows currently out of the lineup for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's hitting three-fifty-one, six home runs, 19 RBI, but they've been able to get it from a little bit of everyone as the Rays were once again able to put a pretty crooked number up on the Kansas City Royals. It's just a plethora of players because even G-Man Choi has been dealing with some injury issues for this team but Brandon Lowe towards the top of the lineup has been doing a good job of being able to make some solid contact. Mike Zanino has been coming on with the bat as well. Yeah, have to like the way that Avisio Garcia is able to hit for a little bit of power and some average. Tommy Pham is hitting right around 300 as well. Yandy Diaz has some pop in the bat. He's hitting right around 280 ish. And Kevin Kiermeyer hitting much better than last year. Meanwhile, for the Kansas City Royals, the top of the lineup is actually pretty good. Whit Merrifield, Mondesi, and Alex Gordon all hitting well. And Alex Gordon going into the game on Tuesday was hitting 324 with five home runs, 21 RBI. You got to like the way that Hunter Dozier is raking as well. 324 average, seven home runs. 12 RBI heading into that game as well, but the bottom of the lineup just letting this team down. Chris Owings is hitting below 200 so far this year, along with the catcher, Martin Maldonado. Billy Hamilton has some good speed at the bottom of the lineup. He's only hitting 226, but he does a good job of being able to find a way on base, but Lucas Duda and Ryan O'Hearn also hitting below 200, so for that reason, going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay Rays run line. I do think that The Kansas City Royals are going to give up quite a few runs, but I do think that if this total is eight or more, I'm going to take it under. If this total is more in the neighborhood of seven, probably going to take it over because I think the Rays will probably get six or seven runs all by themselves. So that is my early evaluation on that game as we move on to a game that is now going off the board. nine. 65-966 65-966 on the bag of rotation. It is the Texas Rangers against the Oakland A's. It was supposed to be a pitching matchup of Drew Smiley for the Texas Rangers against Aaron Brooks of the Oakland A's. I had this game already handicapped, and now the Texas Rangers have scratched Drew Smiley. And to let you in behind the curtain, I literally just took a couple minutes to see what in the heck the Texas Rangers are doing because that literally flashed before my screen, before my very eyes when I was reading that. I can tell you right now that it looks like it's going to be Wei Che Hung who's going to be getting the start for the Texas Rangers. And the plan is probably to go with a bullpen game with guys like Jeffrey Springs, Jesse Chavez, Brett Martin, and all that coming in to relieve Wei Che Hung after he probably goes about two or so innings. And my plays on this game were A's run line, and I was looking at the over already. I have no reason to doubt that as of right now. We know that Aaron Brooks, not necessarily the Mona Lisa veto of starting pitchers, and the listed total that I had before was 9.5, and, and I was on the over at even juice. Aaron Brooks, so far in four starts this year, he's 2-2 two two with a five three two ERA. He's allowed seven walks in 22 innings, and he's given up four dingers, and with the Texas Rangers... We know that they're able to hit the long ball. Elvis Sanders headed into Tuesday night's action, hitting above 350. They've been getting some good production out of Sinchuchu. Joey Gallo has actually been hitting for a little bit of average, 273, with eight home runs and 22 RBI of his own. The Texas Rangers were held to just one run on Monday, but all in all, they've been doing a good job. Danny Santana hitting just below 300. Noah Mazzara has been a little bit of a sore spot, but as Rubo Cabrera has been able to take the ball out of the yard quite a few times. And the bottom of the lineup for the Texas Rangers, let's face it, it's not good. Luke Forsyth, Jeff Mathis, Delano DeShields Jr. These guys are not really getting on base, so I will say that Hunter Pence has been a good acquisition. And then for the Oakland A's, Chris Davis entered into Tuesday with 10 home runs, 21 RBI. He has been sensational. Matt Chapman hitting above 300, along with Marcus Simeon, Robbie Grossman has been struggling towards the top of the lineup and we all know that Loreno is just out there because he plays great defense, but Chad Pinder has been picking it up with the bat as well and Steven Piscotty was able to hit a home run on Monday for his fourth of the year as well. You got to think that that's going to get him going and just the Rangers bullpen in general is absolutely awful. The Rangers' team ERA is above 5, and a lot of this is because they don't necessarily have a lights-out bullpen, and with Drew Smiley now on the injured list and them having to use a mismatch of bullpen pieces, I just think that it's going to get even worse. I think the A's are going to give up quite a few runs in this one, but I think the Rangers are going to get rocked, so for that reason, I'm currently taking a look at the A's run line and the over, just like I initially posted on Twitter, but once again, check back on my plays at GinaNerd's one in the morning, because currently, there is no lineup on this game, 967-968 on the bagging rotation, the Chicago White Sox are in Baltimore to face off against the Orioles, it is Irvin Santana going for the Chicago White Sox Jonathan Meads for the Baltimore Orioles, the Orioles are a favorite I kid you not, the Orioles are a favorite this is not a test the Orioles, anywhere between a minus 105 and minus 110 price, if you like the White Sox, you're able to get anywhere between even money and minus 105, So in this game is between 10 and 10 and a half. If you like the 10, the under is minus 115, the over is minus 105, which if you like the over, you might as well take that because at 10 and a half the over is even juice and the under is minus 120, very weird as to why you have that 10 out there, which is somewhat warranted given that Santana has not necessarily been flamed so far this year. His whip is greater than 2, his ERA is above 10, but I do think that he's going to be able to find himself against the Baltimore Orioles team that they've got some decent bats out there. But let's face it, they are still the Baltimore Orioles. Going into Tuesday's action, it had really been Trey Boom Boom Mancini that was leading the charge for this team on offense. He had six home runs, was hitting above 300. He had also brought in 13 RBI. Renato Nunez has been a good find for this team as well. Hitting just below 300 at the DH spot. 5 home runs, 16 RBI and the Baltimore Orioles were really able to hang a crooked number on the Chicago White Sox. Yesterday that was a big confidence booster for them. But with the White Sox, you've got some guys that are hitting quite well as well. Tim Anderson hitting right around 400. Nick Delmonico has been a good addition to the outfield along with Ryan Cordell, a pair of guys that are both hitting above 300 right now. Adam Ingle and Daniel Polk have not been getting the job done in regards to Average. Both these guys are hitting below 165, and I believe Daniel Pocas is still stuck on one hit for the year. Jose Abreu hitting below 200, but we all know about his power. But Juan Mancata has been terrific for this team. He has a average above 300. He's been doing a terrific job at the Lido spot as he's able to also deliver some power heading into Tuesday. Six home runs, 18 RBI, and then for the Baltimore Orioles, you've got Jonathan Villar being able to do a good job of being able to get on base. Rio Ruiz. Jeff Rickard and Chris Davis are struggling towards the bottom of the lineup, but the top of the lineup has been fairly good for this team. But we do know that the Baltimore Orioles bullpen has had its woes. And we know that the White Sox are struggling a little bit with the bats. But their bullpen has actually been picking things up as well. I think that Irvin Santana is going to have his best start of the year. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the plus price with the White Sox. I've already locked that in. And I think that the White Sox are actually going to get a good pitching performance. And I think that Jonathan Means is actually going to be able to do a decent job of pitching as well in this one. You take a look at what he's done for the Orioles this year. 2-2 two two record. 172 172 ERA. He sometimes gets a little bit happy with the walks in 15.2 innings, 5 walks, and has given up 2 home runs. But all in all, he's been a pretty good starter given the state of the pitching for the Baltimore Orioles. So, going to be playing this game under and going to be playing the White Sox. I've already locked in both of these plays. 969, 970 on the banging rotation. We've got the Detroit Tigers in Boston to face off against the Red Sox. Tyson Ross taking the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Eduardo Rodriguez goes for the Boston Red Sox. Total on this game is 9 or 9.5, depending on where you look. The 9.5 is shaded under, the under being anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like that 9, the over is minus 120. The under is even. And if you want to take a shot on the Detroit Tigers, you're going to get plus 180. And the Boston Red Sox, you're going to lay $2 with them. With Eduardo Rodriguez... It is impossible for me to lay this price with the Boston Red Sox. And Tyson Ross, not necessarily the Mona Lisa veto of pitching, but with that said, he's not too bad. His 1-2 record isn't great, but he has a 3-3-8 ERA. In four starts so far this year, he's been pretty solid. The nine walks in 24 innings, a little bit of a woe. He gives up some hard contact, but so does Rodriguez. Rodriguez has a 720 ERA. He's given up four home runs in 20 innings, 26 hits in general. He's given out seven free passes. And with both these teams, they're not necessarily lighting the world on fire in regards to offense. Miguel Cabrera is now hitting above 280. That's obviously something that you like to see. Seems like Jose Candelario has been able to find something. But the real emergence for the Detroit Tigers right now is Brandon Dixon who in his MLB debut against the White Sox on the 21st was able to go 2-for-3 with an RBI. And then he did it again on Tuesday in the second game of the doubleheader. He was able to rake a 3-RBI double to put the team in the lead. He's been doing a great job for this team. And then you've got another unknown that's stepping up for the Tigers as well in Ronnie Rodriguez, who's doing a great job. He's going to be hanging into this game, hitting above 300. Josh Harrison was able to come up with a clutch, double, but all in all for the year, he's been hitting below 150. Jacoby Jones is sitting below 200 as well. That's obviously a bit of an issue. And then for the Boston Red Sox, you take a look at the bottom of the lineup. It's just not very good. Rafael Devers and Xander Bogars are doing a decent job of hitting. Mitch Moreland has been able to hit seven home runs so far this year, but Michael Shivas has been awful at the second base spot. He is hitting below 200. Christian Vasquez hitting just above two bills. Andrew Benetendi seems to be getting going along with the Mookie Betts, but other than J.D. Martinez, you don't really have a lot of constants with this team in regards to hitting. This is a spot where I do have to take a look at the under and have already locked in under 9.5 on this one. And then with the Detroit Tigers, I just feel like the value is here with them once again. Their bullpen is much less taxed than the Boston Red Sox because they got much better starts out of their starters rather than the Red Sox who saw Chris Sale only go 5 innings and then Hector Velasquez who we knew wouldn't be in the game for very long once again did not provide a very quality start for the Boston Red Sox. So for that reason going to be taking a look at the Tigers and the under. I've already locked in the Tigers and I've already locked in the under so we are all locked loaded and ready for bear there. 971-972 on the banging rotation. It is The Minnesota Twins in Houston face off against the Astros. Justin Verlander going to be going for the Houston Astros. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, our good buddy Undecided, which means that this game is currently off the board. As of right now, we have absolutely nothing on a twin starter, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they go with. I'm just not able to give you much until we do know of a starter, but if this total is 8, I might take a look at the over. I know that Justin Verlander has been very good this year, and this is obviously going to depend a lot on who the Minnesota Twins send out there as a starter because I was scouring Twitter, I wasn't even seeing any hint as to who the starter is going to be for this team. But Justin Verlander so far this year has been terrific. 3-0 with a 3 ERA in his 5 starts. He's got a total of 30 innings pitched. He has given up 9 walks in 30 innings, which isn't necessarily great. And he's given up 5 home runs, which is going to lend itself well to a Minnesota Twins lineup that has been raking so far this year. Jorge Polanco is hitting just below four hundred. Eddie Rosario on Tuesday was able to hit his 10th home run of the year. He now has 23 RBI. CJ Krohn seems to be picking it up with the bat. Marwin Gonzalez still hitting below 200. He's been struggling, but Max Kepler, Byron Buxton, and Mitch Garver, who's now hitting above 400 with five home runs so far this year, all doing a great job. And then for the Houston Astros, they've got their bats as well. George Springer at the top of the lineup does a great job of being able to get on. Jose Altuve has been doing a little bit of everything For the year, he's hitting just below 300, eight 8 home runs, 17 RBI going into Tuesday. He's been terrific. Alex Bregman hitting above 300. Michael Brantley hitting right around 300 as well. And you're even getting some hitting out of Jake Beriznik as well. So I do think that if you're getting a low total here, I'll take a look at the over, but... I'm either going to look at the Astros' run line or I'm going to be taking a look at the Twins at a massive plus price because we know that the premium is going to be on Justin Verlander and we know that the Astros have actually been giving up quite a few runs in the bullpen. So, not able to give you too much just because I have no inkling whatsoever as to who the starter is going to be for the Twins, but that's my early outlook on the game. 973-974 on the bang rotation. It is the New York Yankees in Los Angeles to face off against the Angels. Felix Pena goes for the LA Angels. C.C. Sabathia on the bump for the Yankees. Told him this game is 8.5 and, and is shaded under. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and even juice. If you like the Yankees, you're going to be getting a plus price. Anywhere between plus 104 and plus 105. While late with the Angels, anywhere between minus 114 and minus 115. For how bad the Yankees are banged up and how many different players they've had to use in the starting lineup. They're still above 500. they They've been getting some hits out of Gio Urshula. It's been really amazing to see as six of the nine starters that started opening day for the Yankees currently on the injured list. One of those guys that's still in the lineup, Brett Gardner, only hitting two fifteen, by the way, and Lucas Voigt, who is another guy on that opening day lineup two twenty-two. and then the other guy, Glaber Torres, hitting two it It's been just a mismatch of guys that have been able to get the job done. You even take a look at a guy like Higashioka and Tyler Wade. Whenever their number is called upon, they've been able to do something. DJ LeMayhew hitting nearly 300. They've been able to get the job done. And then for the LA Angels, we talked about it with our good buddy Eric Rosenthal. Outside of Mike Trout, they don't have a whole heck of a lot. And Dalton Simmons, I actually lied, is now hitting more in the neighborhood of 250. Albert Pujols is over the hill. He's barely hitting above two bills. Cole Calhoun, Zach Cozart, they're both hitting below 200. Brandon Goodwin has actually been a nice find for this team. Heading into Tuesday, he was hitting 351 and he had three home run and 10 RBI. He's actually been terrific for them, but when you're relying on guys like Kevin Smith and Daniel Fletcher to be the main help for them, it just really leaves this team in a horse of piece situation. The Angels really had to tax their bullpen on Monday with that 14-inning game, and the Yankees, I feel like, has a little bit of a deeper bullpen. Pena is a decent pitcher. He only goes about four or five innings in his start, so he's not a guy that is really going to go far. And in 17 and a third innings, he's allowed four home runs and seven walks, just not really redeeming qualities there. In his two starts, CC Sabathia has been issuing the free passes. Four walks in those 10 innings, but he's really been limiting cart contact. He seems to be a very effective pitcher, so for that reason, I'm going to look at taking a shot here with the New York Yankees. I'm currently in wait-and-see mode to see what price that's going to be because I notice a lot of people are seeming the Angels just with all the injuries to the Yankees in general, but I'm also going to be taking a look at this total over just because like I mentioned, the Angels have been using their bullpen quite a bit. I don't think that Pena is going to be able to stay in this game very long and T.C. Sabathia, you got to think, is going to give up his first and probably second earned runs of the season. I see this game being more in the neighborhood of 5-4, 5-4, to four, maybe even 6-5. to five. I think this is going to be a little bit of a higher scoring game. Sort of a sharp number on the total, but I do think that the Yankees are going to be able to get to 5 in this spot. So, taking a look at the over and the Yankees, currently in wait-and-see mode as to what numbers in specific I'm going to get, though. 975-976 on the betting rotation. It is the Miami Marlins on the road to face off against the Cleveland Indians. Jeffrey Rodriguez is going to be going on the mound for the Cleveland Indians. Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. Apparently, there was a pitching change made on this one. I'm not necessarily sure which team wound up making the pitching change, but for that reason, this game is currently off the board, and in doing my research, it appears as though the Cleveland Indians did because they've been dealing with injuries with guys like Mike Clevenger and company, and Jeffrey Rodriguez in his first start of the year actually didn't look too bad for the Cleveland Indians. He wound up taking the loss in that one against the Kansas City Royals, but in that start, he wound up going 5.2 innings. He did give up a long ball, but he only allowed five hits in those 5.2 innings Did not issue a walk, so he's a good bend-but-don't-break guy. For the Washington Nationals last year, he had an ERA of a five seventy one. He wound up being a long reliever-slash-spot starter, and he had 37 walks in 52 innings last year, so perhaps he's doing a better job of limiting that one. I'd rather go with Sandy Alcantara in this spot. He's a more proven commodity. I know that he hasn't been great this year. He's 1-and-2. 5.09 ERA, whip of a 1.48, and in his starts, he's been going right around 6 innings in each of them. He's issued 8 walks in 23 innings, but one thing that you've really got to like is the fact that he has not given up a home run so far this year. And with the Cleveland Indians, they are starting to get back to being whole, but even yesterday, they struggled with being able to put runs up on the board. you got to think that getting back Francisco Lindor... Carlos Gonzalez and Jason Kipnis is going to be able to help things out, but we're noticing a lack of power with this team. Carlos Santana has been doing a great job with the average. He's hitting above 360 for the year, but he has only one home run. Carlos Gonzalez has been hitting 300. He hasn't really gotten the power going himself. Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. I know the season's young, but both these guys are hitting below 160. Perez at the catcher spot hitting below 200. Jake Bowers, Taylor Naquin out there in the outfield. They're not hitting well. Leonis Martin doing a decent job of getting on base, but not a lot of power there. And then when you take a look at the Miami Marlins. This is not a team that's necessarily going to light the world on fire with their hitting, but Jose Alfaro now has four home runs on the year at the catcher spot. He was dealing with a little bit of an injury. Martin Prado is hitting above 300. Miguel Rojas has been doing a nice job of being able to find a way on base. Curtis Granderson and Brett Anderson not necessarily getting the the job done along with Neil Walker, but all in all, I do think that the Miami Marlins are going to be able to provide just enough offense to be able to get the win in this one. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Marlins because they're probably going to be getting a very good plus price once again, and I'll probably take a look at an under if this game has like a total of above 8. If this total is like 7.5, then I might start to take a look at an under, but I just think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. So that's my early outlook on this one. 977, 978 on the bang rotation. It is the Seattle Mariners on the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Chris Paddock goes for the San Diego Padres. Felix Hernandez on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. Total on this game is 8.5. And it is shaded under. The under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And we're seeing one suspicious 8 out there as well. That under is also minus 115. And the over is minus 105. If you want to take a shot here on the Mariners, you're getting a big plus price. Anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. If you want to lay it with the San Diego Padres, anywhere between minus 170 and minus 175. I wound up taking that 8 and I wound up playing it over. I do think that Felix Hernandez is going to give up a couple runs. And I know that Chris Paddock has been off to a very good start to the year. But we take a look at the way that the Mariners are hitting so far this year. you got to think that there's going to be some runs put up on the board. I know that Jay Bruce is hitting just above the Mendoza line, but he has 9 home runs, 16 RBI so far this year. Domingo Santana hitting above 300. He's been able to provide, I believe, 26 RBI going into Tuesday. He's been absolutely terrific. We all know what Edwin Encarnacion can do with the bat. Not necessarily hitting for average, but he's hitting for a lot of power. Same goes for Ryan Healy. D. Gordon has been finding a way on base, and you gotta like the way that Mitch Haniger is able to hit in a variety of spots in the order. Meanwhile, when you take a look at the San Diego Padres, they don't quite have that power. As a team, they're we're currently hitting 223 with 31 home runs. Meanwhile, Seattle comes into this game having hit 56 home runs in their first 25 games. Absolutely remarkable. And then with the San Diego Padres, you do have Will Myers who's hitting right around 300. Fernando Tatis Jr., six home runs, 13 RBI of his own. You gotta think that Femi Reyes is gonna be on track at some point. He's been getting really unlucky with hitting the ball hard but hitting the ball at people but Manny Machado has been slumping a little bit. Manuel Margot has been picking it up with regards to his average but he is not drawing any walks whatsoever so far this year. Ian Kinsler is hitting below 200. Austin Hedges hitting right at 200. And Eric Osmer has been in a little bit of a funk as well. So for that reason I do think that there's great value here on the Seattle Mariners. I've already locked in their plus price of plus 160 and I do think that Chris Paddock is going to be able to deliver a decent start. He's currently owned one with a 225 ERA but what we've noticed with him is that he does a good job of being able to limit contact in 20 innings It is. Four starts so far this year, he's only given up nine hits, but two of those have been long balls. And then with Felix Hernandez, he seems to be pitching a little bit better than he did last year. He's only given up two home runs in 18 and a third innings. He's allowing a lot of contact in general, so I do think that we're going to see some runs in this game. I think that the Mariners' bats are going to be able to get it done against some good pitching, and then I think that the lesser pitching of the Seattle Mariners with Felix Hernandez and a bad bullpen going to give up some runs to do the San Diego Padres. So I do see this total going over, but I think all in all, the Mariners are going to be able to pull out a win, and with the value at between plus 155 and plus 160, great value here on the Mariners. As we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the betting rotation, it is the San Francisco Giants on the road to face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Clay Buckles taking the bump for the Blue Jays. Meanwhile, Drew Pomerantz towing the rubber for the Giants. The total on this game is 9, and it is shaded under. The under is minus 120, the over is even, and if you like the Giants, you're going to get anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. If you wanna lay with the Toronto Blue Jays, you're gonna be laying anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Clay Buckles is actually a guy that I trust. I've already locked in the Toronto Blue Jays at that minus 115 price. I like what I've seen out of him so far this year and last year he wasn't necessarily a guy that was going like 7 or 8 innings or anything like that but he was just a good consistent starter for this team as so far this year he doesn't have a decision but in his two starts he's went 10 and 2 thirds innings. He's only issued three walks. He's got three three eight ADRA. He limits hard contact. You gotta like that about him. Meanwhile Drew Pomerantz he's given up 4 Four home runs in 18 and two-thirds innings so far this year with a whip of 161. Just really hard to trust them. We saw the San Francisco Giants be able to bust out with the bats yesterday as they were able to hang a pretty crooked number on the Toronto Blue Jays. That's exactly what they needed. But all in all, you take a look up and down the San Francisco Giants lineup. They don't have a single guy in that lineup. Sans Pablo Sandoval, who played DH yesterday, that is hitting above 250. That is absolutely remarkable. Kevin Pillar, Joe Panik, Stephen Duger, Gerardo Parra, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria. This is an all-star team from 2012. In 2019, this is a bunch of dudes that are hitting right around 225. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays. They've got a couple guys that need to pick it up with the average. Randall Grichuk just hitting above the Mendoza line. But you do have to like the way that Justin Smoke has really come on so far this year. Justin Smoke enters into this game hitting just above 300, five home runs, 17 RBI is what he had entering into Tuesday, but the big issue for the Blue Jays is they are going to be without Freddie Galvis. He's currently day-to-day. He's hitting 315, 5 home runs, 12 RBI, but with the Blue Jays, I do like their starting pitching. The bullpen isn't as good as the San Francisco Giants. Going into Tuesday, the Giants actually had the best bullpen out there in the big. so I do think that this is a total that is going to stay under, but what you also have with the Toronto Blue Jays is a couple guys that are starting to hit. Brandon Drury had two home runs in that series against the Oakland A's. That was obviously a good sign. Justin Smoke, who I just mentioned, got it going. Rowdy Telez has been being able to hit some home runs. He's got his average more around 250 now. And Teoscar Hernandez also getting a ton with the bat. And Eric Sogard being inserted into the infield has also been a big help for this team. So taking a look at the Toronto Blue Jays and have already locked in the Toronto Blue Jays. And I'm wanting to take the total under, hoping to get a little bit more favorable juice on under nine, but I'm going to be on it either way. And that will do it for the Wednesday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Eric Rosenthal for joining joining me in the second segment if you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast you can subscribe on apple itunes google play spotify and stitcher if you ever have a question for the podcast feel free to tweet it in at unit 81 and let's make today a successful profitable and fun day and i'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow thank you so much for tuning in